last few weeks, I've been getting up here and giving a lengthy intro into the book of Leviticus, discussing its merits and encouraging you uh, to be excited by this text that typically, well, let's face it, might kind of bore you. Um, but today I'm going to skip that. Instead, we're going to read, uh, we're going to go the opposite direction entirely. And we're going to read just an entire chapter of Leviticus. Uh, we're going to dive right into it. No build up, just the word of God. You okay with that? All right. I knew you would be. Uh, so let's turn to Leviticus 19, Leviticus 19. This is the, the chapter we're reading today and it's, it's a long one. So I, I want you to bear with me. I want you to hang with me. It's going to be on the screens behind me. Um, as well, but we're going to read through this whole thing, and then we're going to kind of go back and, and obviously uh, talk about it and unpack it and break it down a little bit uh, before we go out of here this morning. So Leviticus 19. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. I think this is probably one of the most well-known verses, one of the most well-known verses in all of Leviticus. Verse 3, Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make for yourselves any gods cast of metal. I am the Lord your God. And when you offer a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord, you shall offer it so that it may be accepted. It shall be eaten in the same day you offer it or on the day after, but anything left over until the third day shall be burned up with fire. This is proof that God hates leftovers, and this is why I don't eat leftovers at my house as well. All right? Because, verse 7, if it is eaten at all on the third day, it is tainted. It will not be accepted, and everyone who eats it shall bear his iniquity because he has profaned what is holy to the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from his people. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest, and you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor or for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal, you shall not deal falsely, you shall not lie to one another, you shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you. All night until the morning, you shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall not do injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. Verse 17, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is actually the most well-known verse from Leviticus, although most people don't realize it came from Leviticus. They just think about it in the context of the New Testament. I am the Lord. Verse 19. You shall keep my statutes. You shall not let your cattle breed with a different kind. You shall not sow your field uh, with two kinds of seed, nor shall you wear a garment of cloth made of two kinds of material. If a man lies sexually with a woman who is a slave, assigned to another man and not yet ransomed or given her, given her freedom, a distinction shall be made. They shall not be put to death because she was not free, but he shall bring his compensation to the Lord to the entrance of the tent of meeting, a ram of guilt offering. And the priest shall make an atonement for him with the ram and the, of the guilt offering before the Lord for his sin that he has committed, and he shall be forgiven for the sin that he has committed. 
when you come into the land uh, and plant any kind of tree for food, then you shall regard its fruit as forbidden. Three years it shall be forbidden, forbidden to you. You must not, uh, it must not be eaten. And in the fourth year, all the fruit shall be holy, an offering of praise to the Lord. But in the fifth year, you may eat of his fruit to increase its yield for you. I am the Lord your God. You shall not eat any flesh with the blood in it. You shall not interpret omens or tell fortunes. You shall not round off the hair on your temples or mar the edges of your beard. You shall not make any cuts on your body for the dead or tattoo yourselves. I am the Lord. Do not profane your daughter by making her a prostitute, lest the land fall into prostitution and the land become full of depravity. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Do not turn to mediums or necromancers. Do not seek them out and so make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. You shall not stand, you shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man, and you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. When a stranger sojourns with you into the land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You shall, not do, you shall do no wrong in judgment, in measures of length or weight or quantity. You shall have just balances, just weights, uh, a justify and just hen. And I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and you shall observe all my statutes and all my rules and do them. I am the Lord. Wow, I don't know if I've ever been more pumped up after reading a list of rules than I am after reading this. Like, I don't know what it is. Something about God asserting his authority and reminding us that he is God, he is Lord. It makes me want to follow these commands. Like, I, I know how that sounds. Okay, I know that sounds weird. That sounds odd. Like, I, I remember me as a kid and, and growing up and my parents telling me to do something and giving me a command and giving me an order. And, and I would challenge them with the always popular retort, why? And they would come back with, because I said so. Because I said so. Exactly. That's they, but that made me wanted to do. That made me want to do the thing less. Like if you don't give me a reason, that's not a good reason. I don't want that reason. But that's essentially what God is doing right here. He's saying, uh, don't go to a fortune teller. Why? Because I'm God and I said so. Right? Don't eat the fruit off the tree until the fifth year. Why? That's so weird. Why? Because I'm God and I said so. And I don't know why. I assume it's the Holy Spirit living in me and guiding my thoughts. But I actually want to take. The, the I'm God and I said so at face value and do the things that God's telling me to do. Follow the rules that he's outlining. And that's what this is. This is a long list. I, I make no, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to sugarcoat it and I'm not going to make any excuses for it. This entire chapter is a long list of rules and commands. In fact, I spent some time this week counting them. Came up with 53 commands in 37 verses. If you're a math whiz, you know that this means that there is more than one per verse. In fact, there's only one verse in this entire chapter that isn't a command or an explanation of the command, and that's verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, that's the only verse where there is not a command or an explanation of the command. Every other verse is a practical encouragement to holiness or an explanation of that encouragement. The title of today's message, if you missed it earlier, is uh, Practical Holiness. I wanted to title it 53 Shades of Holiness for, for the 53 commands listed in the chapter, but I couldn't bring myself to write it down. So if you want to write in your notes, go right ahead. If that helps you remember it, knock yourself out. Okay, so one of my goals this morning is to take... Uh, take you above all the details, all right? I want to take you above all the details. We've got 53 commands here. I want to take you above all of those, and I want you to see the main burden of the passage, which is holiness. 
That's the main burden of the passage. All of the encouragements, really exhortations is what they are. There is one that really stands out above the rest. It's found in verse 2. Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And every single one of the commands in this chapter, everything that he says in this chapter, everything that he outlines and lays out for us, all of those flow right back to that idea. In fact, this is ultimately one of the major themes in all of the book of Leviticus is you shall be holy. Why are, why are there all these laws and all these rules? It's, to, it's because you are supposed to be holy. You're to be set apart. Leviticus used to, use the, the Leviticus used to be the, the, the first book that Jewish children would read out of the Torah. They would read Leviticus first. Because they needed to understand, in an unholy world, they needed to understand what it took to be holy and what a holy God expected of them. And make no mistake, as God was calling Israel to live a holy life, he is calling you and me to live a holy life as well. All right? He, he expects his people to live like him, to live holy lives. That's the point he drives home this entire chapter, this entire book. The commands of chapter 19 show the Israelites how they were supposed to do this. It gave them very practical examples of what it meant to live a holy life. Kind of an equivalent for us in the New Testament under the New Covenant would be maybe the book of James, which tells us how to live, how to, how to, how to be a Christian, how to be holy in an unholy world. And so that's kind of like our version of Leviticus. That doesn't mean that Leviticus is less important, which is why we're walking through it during the course of this series. What's interesting uh, about what we just read is that there nearly no area of life goes untouched. In just one chapter, he spans so much, right? The chapter addresses our need to honor our parents in verse 3. It addresses our idol worship in verse 4. It addresses the manner of sacrifice in verses 5 through 8. It addresses how to harvest your crops in 9 through 10. It tells them how to live with fellow Jews. Uh, it says don't steal from them. Uh, don't lie about them, don't oppress them, don't curse them, don't slander them, don't hate them, don't take vengeance, don't bear a grudge, but it says to love your neighbor, be fair and just with them in, in all ways. This chapter addresses care for your animals, types of clothes you can and can't wear in verse 19. This chapter addresses slaves in 20 through 22 and entering the land of Canaan later on in 23 through 25. This chapter addresses blood and fortune tellers. It addresses how to care for your hair and your skin. It, it speaks of dealing with your daughters and the sanctuary of God. It describes how you should treat elderly and foreigners. And it tells you how you should do business in verses 35 through 36, all of these things that describe how to live, all of these things describe to you how to live and how describe to the Jews of this time how to live a holy life in an, holy, in an unholy world. They, God, God shows us how he wants us to live. He lays it out for us. But church, it's even more than that. Okay? It's even more than that. It's not so much to live as God wants you to live. It's that God wants you to live this way so that you can reflect his character so that you can show the world what he is like. Again, in verse 2, it tells us, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. One of our core values here at Legacy City is that God created us to be image bearers. All right, we're, we're created to be image bearers. You see, we are called to live pure and holy lives. God exhorts us to avoid all sin and love others as he loves us. But none of that is really for us. Hear me on this church. We are created in his image to be his image bearers so that we can reflect the glory and the holiness of God to those around us. 
That's what it means to be an image bearer. When done correctly, we should be nothing more than a mirror reflecting down the holiness of God on the people around us. When others look at us, they should see the reflection of the living God. They should see the image of the risen Savior. They should see the beauty of God's glory, and they should see the depth of God's mercy. When they look at us, my prayer is that people see that instead of Robbie Earl. <laughs> Come on, church. Somebody else make that your prayer this morning. We are image bearers, not because God made us in his own image. I mean, he did make us in his own image, but because we reflect the righteousness and holiness of God to a dark and desolate world. That's the image we carry with us. So with that in mind, we should live in a holy way. We should live in a way that's different than the world. We are aliens and exiles. We are foreigners and sojourners, it tells us in 1 Peter. We're not of this world, and we should live in a way that shows it. That is practically, practically what God is having the Israelites do at this point. All right, he's given them all these rules in Leviticus. Now, we can live differently today because we have the Holy Spirit. Jesus left us a helper in the Holy Spirit. He guides us. He, he, he lives in us. He, he places the law on our hearts. The Jewish people had to show they were different by looking at this huge list of laws. And if you want to know what some of those laws are, you should check out the law wall whenever you leave out of here. It's got 613 of them, although they're dwindling, so you better look at them fast. Speaking of 1 Peter, this encouragement uh, is to be... Holy, this encouragement to be holy is directly applicable to us, okay? This isn't just something from the Old Testament. This is something for us today, and, and we, can, we can find this in 1 Peter uh, verse, ver, chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, we're going back to Leviticus here, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Just as this applied to the churches scattered abroad in the first century, in 1 Peter, it applies to us today. Just as it applied to the Jews wandering in the desert, waiting to enter the promised land, it applies to us today. And it covers all of our lives, not just what happens in this building on Sunday mornings. It's what happens in your homes on Monday evening after a long, hard day at work. It's what happens at your job on Tuesday when your boss is being unreasonable. It's what happens in your home on Wednesday morning when the kids clearly didn't get enough sleep the night before. It's what happens on Thursday afternoon whenever you take your weekly trip to the grocery store and you forget the five main things that you actually went in to get. It's what happens on Friday after work whenever you open your check and you realize that it's not nearly enough to get you through. It's what happens during your downtime on Saturday afternoon with the family. That, that's when holiness comes into play. It's not just here. So let me ask you this, is your behavior holy during those times? Because Church of Leviticus 19 teaches us anything. It teaches us that God is concerned about all of our behavior all of the time. From our attitudes towards our parents, to the dealings with our daughters, from actions toward our neighbors, to practices at work, God calls us to be people that love him with all of our heart all of the time. That's why this chapter covers so much and it spans so many parts of your life. Okay, that was a crazy long intro. <clears throat> but the big question for us in Leviticus 19 has to do with the specifics. In other words, which of the commands of Leviticus 19 are applicable to us today, right? That's what we really want to know. That's why we came here, because we want to know how do these weird verses apply to us. 
And which of the commands in Leviticus 19 were only applicable to the Israelites, right? Which ones, are, which ones are meant for us and which ones are only meant to the Israelites? You know, you have to understand that the Israelites lived under a theocracy before the cross. They lived under God as king before the cross, all right? So they, so they had these rules. They had, to, they had to fulfill all these things. They had to take care of all things. And that's really the question with each of these 53 commands. So let me just say right now that some of these commands are not applicable to us. Verses 5 through 8. Speak about the peace offering. The peace offering was fulfilled when Jesus Christ came and was the ultimate offering for us whenever he died on the cross. We don't have to make those peace offerings anymore because Christ was the ultimate sacrifice. He was the ultimate offering. Right? So those, so those peace offerings, that, that no longer is applicable to us. Neither are verses 20 through 22, which speak of sinful actions toward slaves and how to make things right with a guilt offering. Again, these verses deal with sacrifices for sin, which was fulfilled in Christ and are no longer applicable to us. doesn't mean we skip over them. It just means we don't have to apply those specific examples, those specific rules and laws to our daily lives. Some of these commands are a bit more difficult to determine. Okay, what about verses 23 through 25, which talk about fruit trees that you plant in the promised land? All right, is this only applicable to the promised land or does this apply to our land as well? Are we supposed to wait until the fifth year after planting something, after the fruit comes, to, to take the fruit off of the tree? What, what sort of offering is meant in verse 24 whenever it says an offering of praise? Is this a burnt offering? I don't really know. Or can this be done with the selling of the fruit and giving the proceeds to the Lord? This one's a little unclear. What about tattoos, verse 28? What about trimming your beard, verse 27? What about clothing material, verse 19? Can we mix our cotton and our polyester? Are cotton blends okay? That's what we need to know here this morning. It's interesting that uh, these sort of questions can catch most of our attention. And we can read this whole passage and probably something popped out at you and you, you're focusing on one. Like, is he going to talk about this one? Is he gonna talk, that, that one's weird. Is he going to catch this one? I'm not sure about that. And in doing so, we can easily miss the many commands that are definitely directly applicable to us. You can easily argue that every single one of the Ten Commandments is found and mentioned here in this chapter. Do you realize that most of these commands are also found in the New Testament and therefore are directly applicable to us? So rather than spending the rest of our time this morning wrestling with whether or not a particular verse applies to us in the 21st century, I thought it would be a better path uh, for us to focus our attention this morning on the commands that definitely apply to us. So we've said before that you can sum up all the commandments in the Bible with two simple commands. All of the commands, all 613 commands found from um, Exodus chapter 20 on to Numbers chapter 10, uh, all 613 of them, all 53 in this, in this verse, all commands that are given all throughout Scripture, New Testament, Old Testament combined, can be summed up in two basic commands, love God and love others. Love God and love others. And if these things are true about you, then I believe that you will walk in holiness. And if you aren't loving God, and if you aren't loving others, then you're not going to walk in holiness. So like last week, I have two simple points to drive home. Love God, number one. Love others, number two. Number one, do you love God? Actually, these are in the form of a question. All right, and since these points are in the form of a question, let me follow it up with some deeper questions. And really, most of my message today is going to be introspective. I'm just going to be asking a lot of questions. I'm going to be taking a look at the scripture, at the text, and I'm going to ask and relay a lot of questions to you. 
some things for you to think about, some things for you to consider, some things for you to, 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 to kind of look inside and figure out. I'm not, I'm not trying to tell you anything. I'm trying, to, I'm, trying to get the, I'm trying to get you to think about some things and to try to get you to uh, consult the Holy Spirit to find out some things that are going on within. So, so do you love God? Let me follow that up with a, a better question. Do you really love God? Because we would all say yes to the first one, I, I would hope. Does your life show it? Does what you say, what you do, how you act, does it show it? Do you really love God? Is he your supreme joy? Is he your everything? Or does somebody else sit in that seat? Does something else sit in that seat? Does your job, does your spouse, do your kids, does your money, does your status, do those sit in that seat of the thing that gives you the most joy, the supreme joy? You know, a man uh, who loves his wife will love to be in her presence, to spend time with her, to talk with her. Do you love to be in the presence of God? Do you, do you have any idols in your life, some things that would draw your attention away from the presence of God? With that in mind, let's jump into the word. Leviticus uh, 19.4, do not turn to idols or make for yourself any gods of cast metal. I am the Lord your God. Now, of course, we're mostly beyond the, uh, the physical idols that were super common in the nations surrounding Israel. But rest assured, there are many idols that we deal with. There are many idols that, that we still struggle with. There are idols of technology. There are, there are idols of wealth. There are idols of pleasure and leisure. There are idols of entertainment. Sometimes our, our kids can be our idols. Sometimes our jobs can be our idols. Do any of these idols have a grip on your life? Do any of these idols, are, are any of these idols squeezing out your time, your money, your attention so that you have none left for God? The God who is supposed to be your supreme joy. The God whose holiness you're striving to achieve. And instead you're giving your time, money, attention to these things, these idols. Somebody asked, somebody asked me once, like, how do, how do I recognize if I have an idol? I don't think I have an idol. I don't have any, like, statues in my house. I'm not worshiping anything. You know, I'm, none of that. But the easiest, the easiest answer to that is where is the most of your, your time, money, and your attention going? What takes most of your money? For me, it's food. What takes most of your time? Also food. No, I'm just kidding. It's not food. <laughs> that would be weird. <laughs> it's just eating all the time. Um, what takes most of your attention? What, what zaps your attention? Those things can end up being your idols. Maybe they're not. They don't have to be. That's not a foolproof way to find out. But, but if you really want to start investigating and seeing, am I idolizing something in my life? That's the first place to start. Your time, your money, your attention, your treasure. If that's you today, maybe, maybe today is time to repent and turn to the Lord. We're going to talk about this word repent in a little bit. So how about your words? <clears throat> Leviticus 19.12 says, You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Whenever you speak the name of God, is it with reverence? 
All right, is it, with, is it with reverence? Do you disregard the holiness of the name of Jesus, the name above all names? Do you talk about God in one sentence and then tear down a brother or sister in the next, thereby bringing disgrace to the name of God? In this verse, Moses is talking about specifically invoking the Lord's name within a lie. Right, he's talking about if you're talking with your, your, your brother, sister, your neighbor, whoever, and, and, and you, you lie, but you swear on the name of God, then what you're doing is you're, you're, essentially, you're, you're essentially profaning the name of God in that sense. If you swear by his name falsely. How often do we evoke God's name in other situations to, to further our own agenda or to make us sound holier than others? kind of this idea of, you know, I felt God saying this or leading me to this. I'm not saying he didn't, but how often do we use that to our advantage when really God had nothing to do with the decision? It was your passions, your desires, your sin nature that might have led you there, but we invoke the name of God with irreverence. Leviticus 19, 26, you shall not interpret omens or tell fortunes. Do you ever seek a fortune teller? Probably not. I've never seen one in real life. I've only seen them on TV. No, I think I saw one in Atlanta Underground once. Probably not. We're probably not approaching fortune tellers, but, so you may think, okay, this one's already immediately not applicable to me, but how about this? Where do you go for guidance? Do you turn to pop culture icons? It used to be Oprah and Dr. Phil. I don't think that they're like at the top of the list anymore. I'm not sure. Maybe it's like the view is up there now. I'm not sure about that. I don't know. Do you turn to Facebook for life coaching? <laughs> Man. God bless you. Or do you turn to the word of God? Or do you turn to the word of God? How much of God's wisdom did you seek this last week? How much of God's word did you read this week? Church, loving the Lord with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength is to seek him and his wisdom. Not rely on the wisdom of the world, but to seek God and his wisdom. Let's keep going. Uh, 1930, these are all about God, love God. Uh, 1930, you shall keep my Sabbaths and, and reverence uh, my sanctuary. I am the Lord. More questions. How's your worship? This is another huge theme in, theme in Leviticus, okay? It's, it's being holy, being set apart, being different, but it's also about worship. That's what all, that's what all of the sacrifices and the offerings are. That's, that's essentially how you worship in the book of Leviticus. Do you come here on Sundays with a heart ready to sing? Do you come on Sundays with a mind ready to pray? Do you come on Sundays expectant and with an eagerness to get into the word of God? How about Monday? Do you worship the Lord in your home? Do you seek him every day? Are you, are you, do you have a healthy prayer life where you're praying to him? You're interceding on the behalf of others. How's your worship? This one goes out there to like some of the, the type A busybodies, which I can relate to. Do you keep a Sabbath? 
And, and let me just say, the Sabbath, we think of Sunday, Sunday's the Lord's day. Okay, we think of that, and I get that. It, it is, you know, we, we do come here and we worship on Sunday. That doesn't mean that the Sabbath has to be Sunday. Jesus still did some things on the Sabbath. He, did, he still did some healings, and he still did some things on the Sabbath. But, but, but really the idea of the Sabbath is taking time to be still, taking time to rest. Many of us, we're, we're go-getters. We're out there. We're doing stuff, and we're going, we're going, we're going, we're going, and we never take time to allow God just to, just to fill us up, just to, to kind of prepare us for the next leg of the journey. Are you keeping the Sabbath? Are you, are you worshiping God here in this place and in your homes throughout the week? But what about others? What about others? Do you love others? This is actually where the majority of Leviticus 19 focus on your love for others. So 1911, we're going to go through through these kind of quick. 1911, uh, you shall not steal, you shall not deal falsely, you shall not lie to one another. All right, these are the eighth and ninth commandments right here. If it's not yours, don't take it. If it's not true, don't say it. So let me ask you some questions. Have you stolen from someone? Most of us would probably say no, I don't think I have. Are there things that you've borrowed that have become yours? I've lost so many books that way. People borrow them and they become theirs. Have you ever lied? And we all collectively say, yes. Are you in the habit of lying? Let me ask you that. Are you in the habit of lying to your wife, to your husband, to your kids, to your boss? You see, we tend to think of these two as generally okay. On the small level, still some paper clips from work, maybe a stapler or two. No one gets hurt. No big deal. I mean, we're not robbing a store, right? Like, we're not going that far. That's really stealing. We're just, you know, taking a little. And lying, I mean, we have even a phrase for it that makes it okay. White lies. Little white lies. Little white lies. We, we go all the way down. We make it just this nice little thing. Lies that don't hurt anyone. Like when I call in sick, but I'm really just tired from the night before. Little white lies, they don't hurt anybody. Listen, church, holiness isn't achieved through loopholes and caveats. When God gives a command, we should follow it. Why? Because he is the Lord. 1914. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God, I am the Lord. This is a simple practical thing that I think we can all agree with and all get on board with. If people are disabled, don't have fun at their expense. Don't curse the deaf or trip the blind. So let me ask you a question. We're asking questions. Do you ever make fun of disabled people? But let me really flip it. Because I think hopefully most of us would say no, or if we did, it was an accident, or we didn't know, or whatever. I, let me flip it. Do you make efforts to help the disabled? Do you fight for those who can't fight for themselves? Or how about this? Maybe you don't make fun of, of deaf people. That's good. Don't do that. But when someone isn't around to hear... Are you cursing them? Are you slandering them? Are you making fun of their situation? Do you whisper funny things about others so they can't hear so that you can get a good laugh out of it? Listen, these aren't easy questions, church. Holiness is not easily pursued. Leviticus 19.15, let's keep going. Uh, you shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. Obviously, this is applicable directly in our courts, and none of you are judges that I know of. But how about this? Do you fight for justice? 
There's a lot of injustice in our world today. In our country, racial, racial tensions are high because of injustice. Do you make attempts to stand up for the weak, for the people who can't stand up for themselves? Do you make attempts to do that? Are you partial against the poor? Do you defer to the great? Leviticus 19.16, let's keep rolling along. Uh, you shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor, I and the Lord. This is talking about the one who's negative all the time, the one who is always looking at faults, always looking to tear down rather than build up. Are you seeking to build up, or are you seeking only to tear down? What's your motive? Where are you going there? Verse 17, you shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. Wow, this almost sounds like the New Testament. Don't hate your brother in your heart. That's, that's a New Testament thing. Do you? Are there those in your family that you despise? You really don't want to be around? You really don't like? Maybe you wouldn't go so far as to say hate, but you're right against the cusp. Are you harboring hatred for a coworker? Or maybe someone from, from a previous job, previous church, previous neighborhood. Listen, church, that's not going to breed holiness, believe me. Verse 18. And you shall, not t- you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And here we come to the words of Jesus. Do you love your neighbor as yourself? This is the golden rule. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 12, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. How are you doing with that? Do you really love your neighbor as yourself? This is the golden rule. Jesus said, this is the golden rule. This is how you should do. This is how you should be. Do you love your wife as yourself? Do you love your kids as you love yourself? Do you love your Christian brother and sister as you love yourself? How about this? Do you love the family next door as you love yourself? Now I wonder if we have any honest people in the house of God this morning that would say that after we read all of these commands, that at least one of these commands we just walked through, you felt convicted of sin. Is there at least, is there, is there any honest person here that would say that you felt convicted of something as we read through this list? My hand's up. I'm not just demonstrating. I'm going to put two hands up. I did. More than one of these while walking through this text got me. There were some I wanted to leave out because they frustrated me. But if you would, let me offer you some solace in this moment. These commands go beyond your capabilities. There's no way that you can do this. That's encouraging, right? You simply don't have the capacity in and of yourself to do this. This is why Jesus sent us a helper, the Holy Spirit, to live within us. And that's why Jesus cleanses us with his blood, because he knows that we cannot match the holiness of God. Listen, church, I asked you a lot of leading questions this morning. A lot of things that many of you might have a real struggle with, or maybe you didn't even realize you struggled with it until just this moment. Bring it to God. Lay it down. Repent. I know that's a word we try not to use 
in modern churches because it's been shouted by so many sidewalk preachers and it's been on so many sign-holding protesters. Repent. But church, listen, repentance is biblical. Repentance is necessary. Under Levitical law, they would need to make burnt offerings to repent before they entered into worship. You see, the Day of Atonement, we covered this a few weeks ago, the Day of Atonement would cover their sins for the year, but they had to get their hearts right for worship, to be in community with God. So do we. But we don't have to give burnt offerings. We just have to call on the name of the Lord and repent. It says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let me ask you one more question this morning. When was the last time you truly repented? When was the last time you felt convicted for a sin and you got on your hands and your knees and you truly repented before the Lord? You confessed your sin and you asked God for forgiveness and for strength to not commit that sin again. When was the last time you did that? I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that here in a moment. I really love how he finishes so many of these commands with the phrase, I am the Lord. Because when he says, I am the Lord, he means this. He means that he is the faithful God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It means that he is merciful and gracious. It means that he is the redeeming God. At the very end of the chapter, I love this, uh, verse 36 I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. I love this reminder. It's such a subtle reminder, but so powerful. The Lord is saying, I am the one who has cared for you. I am the one who has rescued you. I sent someone to save you, to bring you out of bondage and slavery. I protected you when you were at your most vulnerable. I am the Lord your God, and I love you. Come on, somebody. This is why we should keep his commands. That's why we should repent when we break his commands. This is why we should pursue holiness, even in the most practical of ways. Love God, love others, because he first loved us. I'm going to pray uh, just real, real brief. I'm going to offer a, a quick prayer over you, and then we're going to worship uh, together for a moment. And I'm just going to say during that time, feel free to do whatever it is you need to do. If you want to get on your knees and repent, if you want to come and talk to me or someone else and, and ask for prayer, if you want to just stay seated, if you want to stand and lift your hands, again, this time is for you. There's no right or wrong. There's no not look around, see what everyone else is doing. This is for you to do. If you want to come and take communion and remember the sacrifice that Jesus made on your behalf so that you can have salvation, come and do that. These next three or four minutes, this is just for you and God. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the book of Leviticus that we can dive into a book that seems very dense and very thick and very full of rules. And, and yes, we are under the new covenant. We're not under the old covenant anymore. And so it makes it really hard for us to look at these and to grasp on. But God, you've got so many things in there for us to see. And thank you, Holy Spirit, for teaching us some of those things here this morning. I pray, God, if there's anyone in this room that needs to, to repent today, maybe they came in heavy, burdened, weighed down. There were chains just all over them. And they looked around and they saw people raising their hand during those first couple of songs and, and they just couldn't bring themselves to do it because 
They haven't taken the time to repent, to let it go, to allow you to do what you do, which is cleanse us from all unrighteousness when we ask through the blood of Jesus Christ. I pray that if there's anyone in this room that needs to do that today, they will do it right now this morning. Thank you, Lord God, for what you're doing in this place. Holy Spirit, be moving in these final moments. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.